another uh, reminder of what today is and, and really tomorrow too. Tomorrow is All Saints Day. And that's why they call today what they call it. All Hallows' Eve. And uh, it's a reminder for you as a Christian of what happened on Reformation time. That you, you can come on your own to Jesus, to God, faith alone, in Christ alone. And that was a revolution that they called the Reformation. And it's a very important time in the life of a Christian because it highlights faith, not works. So if you're here this morning and you're thinking that the way to God is by climbing a ladder... Well, let me call you off the ladder. Let me call you to faith in Christ. Because He perfected it. He accomplished it. He fulfilled it on your behalf. Because no matter how high you climb on that ladder of good works, you will never be pleasing in God's sight. You will never be pleasing in God's sight by climbing a ladder of good works. Because your works are as, what? Filthy rags in God's sight. No matter how good you try, no matter how much you paint them over and over, you cannot please God in your own way with your own works. You needed a Savior. There is no way you can fix up the problem on your own. You need a Savior. Do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus Christ and Him alone? Because Christ brings about a right relationship with God. Knowing Christ, having faith in Him, brings about a right relationship with God. So that's how we start this morning. And if you want to, you know what what the best birthday present would be? You, if you don't know Christ, coming to know Him as Savior. Because that's talking about a person made right now and knowing everlasting life. Not maybe, but having everlasting life. And so we, we, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. And it's through Christ. Having faith in Him, okay? So, don't forget, when it comes Halloween time, it is nice to have uh, Nevada Day. And it's nice to see the children dress up, and children no matter what size. (laughs) But what's more important is, for you, Christian, the fact that we can come to God in faith, believing that what Christ did will make you right with God. Hallelujah. That is good news. That is good news. Well, for some of you, more good news would be to see the Giants win the World Series. 
I got as close as I could with my burnt orange. Actually, I, I didn't know if it was my pumpkin look or giant look here. But um, this morning I thought we'd start off with a rousing rendition of uh, one of the world's, uh, you know, the United States, I should say, most familiar uh, prose. The outlook was not brilliant for the Mudville Nine that day. The score stood four to two with but one inning more to play. And then when Cooney died at first and Barrows did the same, a pall-like silence fell upon the patrons of the game. A straggling few got up to go in deep despair. The rest clung to that hope which springs eternal in the human breast. They thought, if only Casey could get a whack at that, we'd put even money now with Casey at the bat. But Flynn preceded Casey, as did also Jimmy Blake. And the former was a hoodoo and the the latter was a cake. So upon that stricken multitude, grim melancholy sat. For there seemed but little chance of Casey getting to the bat. But Flynn let let drive a single to the wonderment of all. And Blake, the much despised, tore the cover off the ball. And when the dust had lifted and men saw what had occurred, there was Jimmy safe at second and Flynn a hug in third. Then from 5,000 throats or and more, there rose a lusty yell. It rumbled through the valley. It rattled in the dell. It pounded on the mountain and recoiled upon the flat. For Casey, mighty Casey, was advancing to the bat. There was ease in Casey's manner as he stepped up into his place. There was pride in Casey's bearing and a smile lit Casey's face. And when the responding, and when responding to the cheers, he lightly doffed his hat. No stranger in the crowd could doubt. Twas Casey at the bat. 10,000 eyes were on him as he rubbed his hands with dirt. 5,000 tongues applauded when he wiped them on his shirt. Then while the writhing pitcher ground the ball into his hip, Defiance flashed in Casey's eyes. A sneer curled Casey's lip. And now the leather-covered sphere came hurtling through the air. And Casey stood watching it in haughty grandeur there. Close by the sturdy batsman, the ball unheeded sped. That ain't my style, said Casey. Strike one, the umpire said. From the benches, full with people, there went a muffled roar. Like the beating of the stormways on the stern and distant shore. Kill him! Kill the umpire! shouted someone on the stand. And it's likely they'd have killed him had not Casey raised his hand. With a smile of Christian charity, great Casey's visage shone. He, still, he stilled the rising tumult. He bade the game go on. He signaled to the pitcher and once more the dun sphere flew. But Casey still ignored it. And the umpire said, strike two. Fraud, cried the maddened crowds and echoed answered, fraud. But one scornful look from Casey and the audience was awed. They saw his face grow stern and cold. They saw his muscles strain and they knew that Casey wouldn't let that ball go by again. The sneer has fled from Casey's lip. The teeth are clenched in hate. He pounds with cruel violence his bat upon the plate And now the pitcher holds the ball and now he lets it go. And now the air is shattered by the force of Casey's blow. Oh, somewhere 
in this favored land. The sun is shining bright. The band is playing somewhere and somewhere hearts are light. And somewhere men are laughing and little children shout. But there is no joy in Mudville for mighty Casey has struck out. Okay. All right. There is a reason why I've read that and it's not just because of the World Series. Okay. (laughs) It is a reminder for us, folks. Casey at the bat. You know, um, I grew up you know, having a, a favorite team in baseball. A lot of you people did, male or female. You, you grew up having a favorite baseball team. And there's just one thing that the big slugger is known for. He's going to drive the cover off the ball is the idea. That's what he's known for. And every team tries to have one or two that come up to the plate and just rip the cover off the ball. That's what they do. You go to a, a baseball uh, practice session, you know, before the actual game, and guys are hitting the ball, and it's ridiculous how far they hit it. It's insane. <laughs> and when it comes down to basics, there's just one thing that the Christian is known for. And that's love. You you know, when you and I step up to bat, so to speak, there ought to be one thing that's left, that's one thing that stays in the minds of the others, and that is love. And that's what Scripture emphasizes over and over again. Last week, Pastor Brennan brought a message. One of those tests was the test of love. And we all know about it. We all know about love. And yet, the challenge is, because Scripture brings it up again, and here's a passage in Romans chapter 13, where the first three verses are bringing it up three times again. Do you think there's a message there? Why there's the repetition? And why there's a, a letter, in, you know, such as First John that was preached on last week? Why it's emphasized over and over and over again? Maybe because we... Strike out like Casey. <laughs> and we just need to keep coming up and saying, here's, here's the next round. Here's the next opportunity. Am I showing love? Am I demonstrating love? And so in our continuing study in Romans, in Romans 13, 8 through 14, Paul gives the Christian further instruction on love and gives two characteristics of love that I want to, and I want us to see this morning how, first of all, how comprehensive love is in, in, given in the instruction of Scripture. How comprehensive love is and how ready Christian love is. Okay? Or how vigilant or watchful Christian love should be. Okay? So we're going to start in on this passage, Romans 13, starting at verse 8, going through verse 14. Follow along as I read, okay? Romans 13, verse 8. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another, for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For this, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, it is summed up in this saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love, therefore, is the fulfillment or the fulfilling of 
of the law. And this do, knowing the time that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. The night is almost gone and the day is at hand. Let us therefore lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regards to its lusts. Let's pray. Lord, we ask you to guide us in our time here this morning. Lord, we have some clear teaching here that uh, we pray that you would help us with, um, not just to know about it, but to take it in and obey you and walk with you in this and to be changed because of this, Lord. Lord, we are so prone to taking in information and not necessarily doing something about it. Please help us to, to do. And Lord, guide us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So, the first characteristic that I want to point out to you is that love, it's a, it's a full-service love. Okay, that's point number one. A full-service love. And it's a love that's described as this, letter A, a never-ending obligation. The way that Scripture lays it out here is that we have this obligation as if it were a debt. And it's very clear there. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. Now, right away, you think, oh, my goodness. I I have a lot of outstanding bills, and I'm in debt here and there, and, you know... Um, so am I, you know, am I really in big time trouble here with God because I owe bills and I'm in debt? Is that the case? And I would say, no, um, scripture allows for taking out a loan. That's okay. All right. However, it's not to abuse that opportunity. And too many times in our culture, that whole thing with taking out loans, that is abused. And so if that's the case for you and you feel like all you can see are bills and bills and more bills to pay off the credit card or whatever, you need to you know, do your best to get that taken care of because that is a burden on you that's not really, that should not be there. And parents, we need to teach our children to do likewise. You know, it's okay to take out a loan, but that means that you can what? You can pay it off. <laughs> you know, take care of this because it's, a, it's an issue that so many people are just overburdened with. But that's really not the point. The point is, is to compare it here to the debt of love that you and I as Christians owe everyone. And when we put it in that perspective, we think, oh my goodness, how I have not been walking in love, how I've missed the mark, because I haven't really demonstrated a love like this is talking about. Oh, nothing to anyone except to love one another. 
to love others is your ongoing payment in life. That's the idea. And we've got to make sure we're on the radar here with what love means and that we understand it's about agape love. It's not a self-centered love where you get and get and get. That's what so much of America is known for. You know, kind of, it's, it's not love, it's lust. <laughs> and it's about us, you know, what can I get? What can I get? But here in this passage, we understand that this love is talking about God's kind of love, agape love. So the idea is pay up. Pay up. And through this message, I want you to remember this one story that Jesus gave, the story of the Good Samaritan. Keep that in mind, and maybe later on read it, you know, later this afternoon. But Luke chapter 10 describes that, the story of the Good Samaritan. All the other guys passed by the one that was attacked. But the Good Samaritan came, and he ministered to him. And he showed that, that demonstration. Here's the, the payment that he gave him was not just to pick him up and clean him off and say sayonara, but he then ministered to him, took him on to Jericho and took care of him. So this is the Christian's ongoing or never ending obligation. As long as you are alive in this body, it's, it's to be this way. An obligation to love others. Letter B, it's also our ever-ready consultation. An ever-ready consultation. I want you to look at verse 9 here. For this, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. If there is any other commandment, it's summed up in this, saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And amidst all the ocean of moral issues in our day, we find that the Ten Commandments serve as God's light. Here's a, a revealing of God's heart through the Ten Commandments. And are you to live by them? Yes. Can you keep them? No. But you don't just delete them because you can't keep them. You need to say, yeah, these Ten Commandments, they're, they're showing God's heart and what He wants to us to learn through understanding the Ten Commandments. But can we keep them? No. Thus, here's Christ who did keep them. Christ fulfilled the law. He didn't destroy the law. He came not to destroy it, but to perfect it on your behalf. So that now with faith in Christ, God looks at you and says, Oh, you have my son's righteousness on your account. And it's nothing that you accomplished, nothing for our glory, but for Christ's glory. Don't forget that. Okay? And so all the things that we would want to do that are good works are uh, simply an outflow of what He accomplished. Right? It's what He accomplished. And so this love serves as like a, an ever-ready consultation because there's all sorts of moral issues that you deal with. And that's the idea in verse 9 there. You know, uh, you know, it lists all these. Here's a listing of the commandments. Not all of them, but uh, some of them are listed here. And then he says in the middle of verse 9, and if there is any other commandment, what? 
anything else that's covered, it's summed up in this one thing. Love your neighbor as yourself. Okay? So, whatever we find ourselves involved in, we are to be guided by love. Love for God and love for others. Your neighbor. No matter what the situation is. And, you know, how does that come about? Does that just happen overnight? I can testify, no, it doesn't happen overnight. Because I've responded in plenty of situations in a selfish manner, not in a loving manner. I want to protect myself. I want to guard myself. I want a, you know, comfort zone. And yet, what is God calling us to here? Whatever you find yourself in. You, you get consulted, if you will, back to this one thing. It's summed up in this one thing. Love your neighbor as yourself. Okay? It comes back to what he, he uses that word. It's summed up in this. Well, it comes back to the summation of things. Love will be the answer. Okay? Now, love... Some people have tried this, you know, to... Love without the understanding of the law. And then that love kind of, you know, keeps moving and moving in kind of a, uh, a soft kind of a way. Just, you know, what we see in our day today about love. You know, and a lot of people that we um, have contact with think that, well, God is a God of love. And so the, I, the connotation with that, the implication is, that, oh, God will God'll understand. He'll understand. And some of you remember the movie that we were advertising that we're going to do, and then we shifted from that. That was one of the reasons we didn't do it. Is because in the movie, somehow they portrayed the, that God was just, you know, a real soft kind of being. That he, he, un, he just, he really understood. And it, it's like he, they're portraying God as a, as a really nice counselor. Well, that's a part. That's partly true. He's he's the wonderful counselor, but he's also he's a god of holiness, and we need to respect that and walk in the fear of the Lord, not just to walk around life saying, "Oh, well, God understands," you know, you know, and, and so it doesn't matter what I do, it doesn't matter how I conduct myself, because God understands, right? You get that message? So we got to understand. Here's who God really is. And so we need to define what love is about. And God is so loving, He's not going to let His children do what's wrong. He wants to discipline us. And that's why, parents, we want to learn to, and, and consistently, as much as possible, consistently discipline our children so that they will grow up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. So, This love, it's a full-service love, is our never-ending obligation. And letter B, it's our ever-ready consultation. And letter C, it's our ever-reaching motivation. It's our ever-reaching motivation. Look at verse 10, the first part of verse 10. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Okay? Love does not work evil to a neighbor. It's a good thing. It's a building up thing. And I look at this as, here's a constant uh, motivating issue for our lives. You've got neighbors that you want to show the love of Christ to, right? 
I hope that's the case. That we take whatever opportunities come and use it as a motivation for this full service love. It's a comprehensive love. Okay? The idea is that what you do to connect with others is done for loving them. Not to get, you know, another one marked on your list. Uh, well, I, I witnessed to this one. I got, you know, all these people, I, you know, and mark your list. No. It's just here's the outflow of a person's life. When you're full and controlled by the Spirit of God, it's the idea that we would be demonstrating this kind of love to others. So, this, at the, at, in your outline, is a little blank there that says, this is then a comprehensive love. It's to be a pouring, it's to be pouring out of us it's to be what constrains us. And remember, love, if, if we are to define this agape love, it's that love always seeks the what? The highest good in the one who's loved. So, where does that start? It starts with God. Where is it shown in life? You know, like Tim had mentioned here in the children's story time. It's shown in time spent in the Word of God. It's shown in time spent in prayer. It's shown in how we deal with people. Okay? Husbands and wives. There's where the the strongest fire ought to be in this regard of love. The strongest, brightest fire that people can see equating to love, ought to be between a husband and a wife. And if that's not happening, husbands, you, husbands, you are responsible. You're called to love your wife. So husbands, take lead in that. And love, and learn about love from the Word of God, the source of love. Here it is. Learn of love more and more and more. It's repeated so many times. Let's learn of it and then act upon it as we understand here's what the Word of God tells us. Your number one priority, men, is not to, you know, be top dog in, at, at work. Your priority is to answer to God. Love the Lord your God. And then husbands, love your wives. Okay? So, love always seeks the highest good of the one that's loved. And that is what the Ten Commandments were intended to teach us in the first place. How are they split up? The first four tell us about what? Loving God. The next six tell us about loving one another. Okay? So, that's the the amazing profundity of the Ten Commandments. And aren't you glad that our forefathers set up this government based on the Judeo-Christian ethic and value? Aren't you glad? Okay? And that's a very important issue. And here we are as Americans. Because those guys long ago set things up understanding who God was. I'm not necessarily saying they're all Christians, okay? I'm not saying that. But they understand, here's the the principle behind setting up a government. 
the three branches of government. Okay? Very valuable. Supposed to be for checks and balances. Okay? And all of the... I've never been back to Washington, D.C., but all of the the carvings and the buildings and the, the different things that point back to... Here's the Ten Commandments. Here's Moses, the lawgiver. Here's an understanding of there's a God who's created us. And he's the one, he's the one true God. So love always seeks the highest good of the one loved. And then 1 Corinthians 13. Let's remember that, right? 1 Corinthians 13. Love never fails. I, I had a hard time, you know. It's like, how do you, how do you process that? I fail all the time. Love never fails. So when we are walking and responding in love, according to the Bible, love never fails. It's going to bring about what God designed here, what God would purpose. But when it's not, it's not when it's true agape love. You know what I'm saying? It's, Love never fails. But if it's not agape love, then it's like, well, maybe it's going to fail. The idea is that it's agape love. Okay? Get that down. And then say, how do we, as a, as a couple, or me as an individual, and how do we as a family demonstrate this kind of love? And moms and dads, what a great science project to do. <laughs> I know it's not a science project, but you know how much time you spend on a science project. Uh, And so, demonstrate it to your children. And just lavish the praise on the children when you see them doing it. So, that's one reason why Paul says here that love is fulfilling the law. Okay? Love never fails. All right. Secondly, on the back of your outline is that love is not simply a full service love, but secondly, it's a full alert love. It's a full alert love. And here's why. There's reasons that God makes this clear that love ought to be on the alert. And look at verses 11, starting there. And this do knowing the time that is, it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep, for now salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. The night is almost gone. The day is at hand. Let us, therefore, lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. It's okay to read it a second or third time, by the way. (laughs) The reasons why, there's the urgency of time. That's clear in verse 11 and 12. The urgency of time. There's not much time left, right? The day is at hand, meaning the day is near. The hour has come. The day is at hand. How quickly we know time flies talking to parents with little children, you know, you always want to kind of say to them, you know, 
spend lots of time because guess what? Before you know it, they're going to be all in their late 20s and 30s or maybe even older. (laughs) Spend that time with them. But more importantly, the hour is coming. The return of the Lord is near. Okay? We are one day closer to either dying and being with God before God or His return. We're one day closer. Okay? And you folks that are older than I am, you know how you can say it better than I how time flies. So there's the urgency of times. Letter B, there's the urgency of our our tendencies. The concern about our tendencies is seen there in verse 12. Lay aside the deeds of darkness. We, We are so prone to doing those things that are natural. The natural flesh. The natural desires of the old man. Our tendencies lead us further into darkness if we're not following Christ. See, I can say, oh, I'm a Christian, but if I'm not walking and practicing my life in, in, in direction with the Lord, in harmony with His Word, I can be known as saying, well, the guy says he's a Christian, but look at his deeds. Look at his actions. And that gets back to Brendan's message of last week. Here are the tests. Where are we really at? Are we failing in that? Are we succeeding in it? Let us see the urgency of troubles. And these are serious troubles. You see them in verse 13. Beware of the the carousing and drunkenness in the sexual promiscuity and sensuality and strife and jealousy. These are things that we've got to be aware of. And letter D, the urgency of our tolerances. Now, I say tolerances because of what verse 14 mentions. It says, make no provision for the flesh. And that word is provision means give no forethought to. Give no allowances. And it really is referring to what we, what we flirt with. If we're not careful, we start flirting with the things of the darkness. Make no provision for the flesh. Okay? Now, the requirements of this, the requirements given, is letter A, under number two, called the wake up. We're called the wake up. So we gave the reasons why we need to have a full alert love. Here are the reasons, these urgencies. And now we give the requirements. The requirements for a full alert love. You see it in verse 11. Wake up. A call to wake up. It is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. Who's he, who's he addressed this letter to? It's, it's not just a, a general public. It's to Christians. Wake up. Wake up from sleep. What's the problem when you sleep in, literally? Come on, I know you do it. <laughs> if you sleep in, what starts happening? You're, you're like, uh, 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 and you don't feel ready. You're, you're late, and you, you feel that, right? 
oh, I got to rush. You don't have much time. Here's the day. I, you know, people are waiting for me. I've got uh, this appointment or this. I got to be here and there. And you're rushing. And there's the picture, spiritually speaking, of if we're not paying attention, if we're not awake to what's really going on regarding the time. The time is at hand, Christian. Wake from the sleep. He's talking about spiritual lethargy. Right? And you can, if you woke me up in the middle of the night, I'd be very lethargic. I'd be, oh, what, what? And sleepy-headed, right? You understand that. He's not talking about physical lethargy. He's talking about spiritual. Christian, we are, we've got to be on the alert here. Too much lethargy going on. Is that the right pronunciation, Simi? <laughs> It's too much of that sleepy-headedness. We're not paying attention with what? With the context here, and that's to love. Love in the right way, not just in the soft, nice way. (laughs) Love in agape way. So, we're called to wake up. Letter B, we're called to armor up. Armor up. Lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. And a lot of us as Christians, you don't put on the armor of light. You wait till Sunday and think that, oh, then we got it together. No. The idea is that every day you armor up. Spending time in the Word, praying, asking God for His help, pleading with God, God, please use me. And Lord, would you take your Word and expose those dark corners in my life that need exposing with your what? Your light. Shine your light, O oh Lord, in my heart and help me to respond in faith and obedience to what you're pointing out. That's what needs to be changed. Okay? And here is the first time we really see this business of a put-off, put-on principle. Okay, Christian? Very helpful, practical teaching. Put off the old deeds, put on the new. Put off the old man, put on the new. Put off darkness, put on light. And on that goes. I tell you, a lot of... (laughs) If Christians would truly love and do what the Word says, we'd put a lot of counselors out of business. Thirdly, letter C, called to clean up. And here I could say the same thing. If we would do our jobs as Christians and respond to the Word of God and trust Him that what He says is what's best and that I obey Him and trust Him, there's going to be a different influence going on in in my life and your life. A different influence. Why? Because people walk around and they expect filth coming out of people's mouths. They expect attitudes of complaint. They expect those kind of looks on the face that, you know, show a murmur or a grumpiness or whatever. And Christians aren't putting on the light, right? We're not putting on the armor of light. And it's a call to you, Christian. It's a call to you. Wake up, armor up, clean up. I want you to mark down 2 Corinthians chapter 6, 
starting at verse 14, going through chapter 7, verse 1. There should be no association in that sense that, you know, um, what fellowship has light with darkness? What fellowship? Fellowship meaning an, uh, a connectedness, a, a communion, a togetherness, a partnership. What, what fellowship has light with darkness? And yet we are the guilty ones because we keep allowing it to come about. So we're called to clean it up. Your responsibility, my responsibility, not to wait to God to work in your life. God's already said it. What are you waiting for? Wake up, armor up, clean up, and then letter D, power up. By the way, I have to say this. Christians do more damage to the cause of Christ if we are not doing these things. We do more damage to the cause of Christ. And I'm not, I'm not putting blame on Satan yet. Satan would love that. But there's no, I, don't, I, I still don't believe there's a whole lot of things that Satan needs to do to cause Christians to mess up. Because it's what we choose. It's what you choose in your life. In, in light of the Word of God, we need to put it into action. He's given it to us. Let us trust Him and obey Him for what's right. So letter D is called, we're called to power up. You see all these power juices and drinks now. And yipes. It just, yeah, it's really something. You see young people just throttle. Or I, I don't know when the names of it. I've never really tried any. But, yeah, Rita's got it. Pure water. <laughs> water. <laughs> anyway, um, maybe I'd do it with coffee. That's the problem. Anyway, we're called to put, listen, Christian, put on. It's very simple. Put on. The Lord Jesus Christ. Not religion, not good works, not a system of beliefs, not a system of doctrines. Put on the person. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. How do you do that? Well, first, would you start to get to know Him better? Get to know Him better. Learn of who He is. Okay? And then look at the last half of this verse, verse 14. Make no provision for the flesh. The last, that verse, make no provision, it's illustrated for us in the story of Saul, King Saul. God told him, actually through the prophet Samuel, it's 1 Samuel 15. God says to Samuel, you tell the king, king, you go and you wipe out the Amalekites. Wipe them out. So King Saul gathers the forces together and he goes and he takes care of the Amalekites. The problem is, he, listen, he, King Saul made provision for King Agag. King Agag, you know, got the, the easy out from King Saul. And then Samuel shows up on the scene. And what did Samuel have to do? If you're familiar with the story, you know, Samuel had to go kill Agag. 
And he just didn't kill him. He hacked him to pieces. God is serious about evil. God is serious about your sin and my sin. And what is your attitude towards it? What's your attitude towards your sin? And it it needs to be, take care of it and hack it to pieces. Do your best to get rid of it. Eliminate. Turn from it. Put on the armor of light. Wake up. And guess what? Here's, here's a vigilant love. So it's a, it's a comprehensive love and it's a vigilant love. And if you and I will really allow Scripture to sink through and saturate our thinking, and our thinking then gets turned into behavior. So let us, let us remember what He's told us here. Owe no man anything but love. Love one another. Love your neighbor. Okay? And so, as you think this over more, I hope that I've challenged, I hope that the Spirit of God challenges us to how we now behave. I hope that you'll remember that it was Jesus, the Good Samaritan, that came and rescued you. You had been trampled on. You had been beaten up. You had been left for dead by Satan himself. And Jesus, the Good Samaritan, came and He demonstrated love to you. He picked you up. And He brought you into His goodness. So, my friend, Christian friend, here we go. Now, here's the gospel in our lives, and here's the gospel outworking in our lives. That Jesus Christ might be glorified. Amen? Let's stand together and close in prayer.